Today's gospel text is a little like one of those Russian nesting dolls. It's a story nested inside a story nested inside a story. The biggest of these stories is the biggest story. Nothing less than the story of God's history with humankind. You know the basics. God creates all creation and calls it good. And then humans start running amok and therefore trying to get themselves lost from God's notice. But God's love will not let us go. God persists in seeking us and finding us, inviting us to turn away from whatever we become lost in, and encouraging us to move closer to God because that's where joy lives. This greatest story ever told is told first in the Hebrew Bible, which collected stories of God speaking through miracles and through prophets, those voices crying in the wilderness, repent and rejoice in the Lord. And then, as told in the New Testament, God, whose amazing grace just never gives up, God fulfills those ancient stories by coming to live among us. And from that living among us vantage point, God continues seeking all who are acting lost, encouraging our turning and returning, our repenting and experiencing the joy of knowing we are found. In the not as big story that is the Gospel of Luke, there are two groups of people. One group is tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors worked for Rome, so they were traitors. Plus, the system was corrupt, so they enriched themselves at the expense of others. Plus, they interacted with Gentiles, so they were ritually unclean. And then sinners. That's a broader term, meaning anyone whose violation of the law of Moses was publicly known, sort of convicted criminals, and they were therefore shunned. Now the other group, the Pharisees and the scribes, are the religious folk, the churchgoers, the wearers of serious robes. And we are harumphing and tisk-tisking as all this hodgepodge of outcasts draws near to Jesus. And so, Jesus pulls out the smallest of today's nested stories just for us. These two little parables, each followed by a dash of interpretation, a dash of interpretation that reminds us of our connection with God's big story. Here now a reading from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with the first verse. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you? having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven 
over the turning of one sinner than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance? Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, apparently, Jesus wants us good church-going folk to repent of however it is we may be lost from God. And this really matters to God because, to borrow pop culture vocabulary, repentance sparks joy in heaven, which just doesn't fit at all with my view of repentance. When I encounter the word repent, I always tend to think, rather unkindly, of some self-appointed modern-day John the Baptist wannabe pestering the tourists in Times Square, pretty much the opposite of joyful. Clearly, the word repent has been hijacked, so much so that even if I manage to get past that weird guy in Times Square, even if I manage to hear Jesus, especially in Luke's gospel, calling sinners to repentance, even then, repent is just about as joyless a word as I can think of. It sounds so stern and puritanical and judgy and no fun at all. And yet Jesus links it with joy. That joy is what spoke to me first from this text. As Jonathan can attest from our discussion of hymn selections, from the get-go, I wanted to focus this service on joy. Megan can corroborate this because while sermon titles are usually my nemesis, this week's title, Rejoice With Me, was waiting for her on Monday morning. Now, as a preacher, I am wary of imposing a theme upon a sermon. Instead, I strive to trust whatever bubbles up from the text. But as your pastor, I wanted us to focus together on joy, because many of us have been spending time with despair. Our community has suffered multiple tragedies, and many of us are heavy with grief our own grief or someone else's. So a good dose of joy seems overdue. And this text serves it up using the word over and over, and we'll get there in a few minutes. But first, this text serves up losing and searching and finding. The text serves these up as precursors, perhaps even prerequisites for rejoicing. Repentance is directly linked with joy but first, there's losing and searching and finding. Now, those are common concepts. We all have stories of lost luggage, misplaced keys, or searching everywhere for our sunglasses that are perched on our head the whole time. And then there are those circumstances when you've had to engage in a more significant search. I know I'll never forget being at the departure gate in the Seattle airport with five-year-old Malcolm and two-year-old Ethan, and suddenly Ethan was lost. He wasn't there. 
And we searched, and we found him, and there was great rejoicing. Some of the longest moments I've ever known, followed by great rejoicing. Luggage, keys, sunglasses, two-year-old, each may be lost and found and rejoiced over, but none of them actually tries to be lost. And I think that's one way that we may come to feel lost from God. It's accidental, almost careless of us. We don't hear Jesus saying here, y'all deliberately turned away from God. Now maybe he's suggesting that his audience has gotten lost without quite knowing it. And maybe that's the case for some of us too. There is also, however, the reality of trying to become lost from God's notice. And so here's another story from my days of parenting toddlers. Maybe a year after that memorable trip through the Seattle airport, little Ethan, my own little bunny, came up with a way of trying to be lost, at least lost from me. With the special logic of a three-year-old, Ethan would say to me, don't see me, mommy. Whenever he was doing something he knew he wasn't supposed to do. He would say, don't see me, mommy, when he was messing with his big brother's toys. He would say it when he was shutting the cat in the dryer. <laughs> True story. And he would say it when, stark naked, he would make a break for the front door, intent on doing what only a little boy can do from the edge of the porch down into the yard. Don't see me, mommy. Cute story. Way cuter than how we grown-ups get lost from God. And that's where repentance comes in. And interestingly, Jesus relates it to searching. Today's two lost and found parables are often interpreted as God diligently searching for us. And I do not doubt that God does seek us. But I do wonder if that's what is intended here. In these parables, the shepherd is the one who lost the sheep. And the woman is the one who lost the coin. And I struggle to see that God has carelessly lost us. More than a sheep or a coin ever could, we are the ones doing the getting lost. So while I'm not one to underestimate God's activity in our lives, I mean, that is the plot line of the big story, I am wondering if we are meant to also do some of the searching if searching is part of repenting. Here's what I mean. This week, as my determination to focus on rejoicing, and we will get there, as that expanded to accommodate Jesus' other emphasis, repentance, I sat myself down in the big rocking chair in the corner of our sunroom. It's what's come to be known as my prayer chair. And I awkwardly brought before God this question. Of what do I need to repent. You see, I've tended to acknowledge this need mostly in the abstract. You know, humans are sinful and therefore we need to repent and receive forgiveness. That's why every Sunday our liturgy includes a prayer of confession and an assurance of pardon. Sure, okay, whatever. Well, that's the problem. The whatever. I can't turn away from something, and that's what repentance means. I can't meaningfully turn away from something 
yet I haven't recognized what it is. So I sat in my prayer chair trying to identify what I needed to repent of. In what ways have I gotten myself lost from God? And what initially came to me was stuff that I regret. Things I regret doing, things I regret not saying. Fine, but regretting is not repenting, not by a long shot. Regret, regretting is merely what my friend Rick had in mind when he said, I have exactly one regret. I regret the day I wore my new cashmere sweater and didn't carry an umbrella. Repenting is way deeper, bigger, more difficult. To get beyond regret and dig all the way to repentance requires the sort of diligent effort expended by the shepherd and the woman in these parables. It's that kind of going to the great lengths of an all-out search. If you search, really search, leaving behind the distraction of other sheep, lighting a lamp, sweeping the corners, looking past the clutter of regret, you will find what you need to repent of. You will find the stuff that keeps you feeling lost from God. And then you can repent of however it is you're lost from God, and then you can rejoice. See, I told you we'd get there. Since I will tell you that there is a lightening, a lifting of existential burden that occurs when you identify and begin turning away from whatever it is that has let you feel lost from God. There is indeed a kind of holy joy because to repent of something that you've buried that deeply is to make progress toward being who God intends you to be. There's surprising joy in that. Perhaps you've heard of the surprising story of John Newton, the man best known for the poem that includes the line, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Newton was a slave trader who survived several near-death experiences which led him to faith, yet in his far from tidy story, he still persisted in profiting from slavery. Eventually, he left that brutal trade, yet it was still decades before he spoke out against it. After finally joining the abolition movement, Newton wrote, I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. And he also wrote, a gracious savior seen by faith, a sense of pardoning love, a hope that triumphs over death, gives joy like those above. That's the kind of joy found when we repent of however we are lost from God. That's Newton's discovery. That's Newton's story of discovering joy. What's yours? If you actually search, you will find whatever it is that you need, not merely to regret, 
but to begin repenting of. And I think that is God's invitation for you to move closer to the God whose big story is about moving closer to us. And that is our greatest joy. Amen.